what you told me how to do. I ran into, uh, well, I didn't run into it, but I, <laughs> you know what I mean. Brent Mohair, about a month ago, and he said he was down here worshiping with you. And he said, man, that's the greatest church ever. So he was thoroughly excited. So one of the things I knew when I came, I told Teresa, I said, I think we're in for a good treat to be able to work, worship with some uh, really wonderful people. And Brent was not wrong. <laughs> so it's, it's a wonderful pleasure uh, to be with you and to just participate in Bible study with you and to enjoy your company. You've you just uh, been wonderful to me and my wife and we appreciate that a lot. Uh, I feel your pain losing Lance and Sasha. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. These scoundrel young men, they always see grass and green and so <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, it would take me any time to love Lance. <laughs> he's, he's great. And I, I, I know you're uh, you're happy for him, but hurting too, and that's uh, that's just a bittersweet kind of thing. That's great. You open your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. <clears throat> it's an interesting statement here that I'd like you to consider. We're quite accustomed to verse three as the text begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Verse 4 says this, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now, if you've given much thought to that, the first thing that's probably crossed your mind is, I don't know what he meant by that. (laughs) I know I've asked myself that question in the past. The very fact that God would choose us before the foundation of the world. Well, what that means, number one is, is before he made us, he chose us. Before He created anything of this physical world or universe or whatever, He chose us. And that in of itself is kind of odd. Uh, it, it, it just hard for us to make sense of that. To try to figure out what in the world is He doing choosing a people He hasn't even made yet and choosing a people before he's even created anything physical at all, none of this has even come into existence, and this is all in the mind of God, and he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Well, there's something even more to that. He chose before the foundation of the world to save us from our sins. Now that really kind of just explodes my brain. I'm like, whoa. So, uh, like Paul said in Titus 1 verse 2, even before he made anything, his, he, had, he had promised eternal life before the world began. 
Well, wait a minute. If He promised eternal life before the world began, then He knew we were going to sin. I mean, He's already got the plan of salvation all laid out and He hadn't even made one person yet. How many of us, if we happen to be sitting in the background of the uh, committee meeting between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and uh, uh, before the world began and then they say, yeah, let's make people and they're all going to sin. How many of us would have said, oh, <laughs> take time out. Maybe you've got something wrong here. I don't think that sounds like a great idea. I think I would have. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then there's one other thing to consider. Jesus tells us in the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew that Satan has a kingdom. Right? Satan has a kingdom. And Satan is battling us. We studied about that this morning. The great dragon, the great serpent is is very clearly doing his thing and he has a kingdom. And in his kingdom he is blaspheming God and he's trying to destroy everything that is God's. In fact... In the Garden of Eden, everything seems really sweet and nice until, boom, there's a serpent and God in that very first prophecy says, here we go. The battle is on. There's enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we say, whoa, man, that... That, that little statement of the battle and all of the Old Testament and into the New Testament all the way to the end from beginning to end what are you looking at? Battle. You know we, we kind of look at it and go oh, oh cute little history there about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Pharaoh and Abimelech and all these guys and this and that and all that. Battle. Offspring of the woman offspring of the serpent battle all the way we already know who wins but we're being described this battle now I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 the text that Alan read for us very interesting in chapter 5 just this little statement here that Christ he talks about husbands and wives. I, I, I have to stop and say, I know you probably heard that reading and said, well, is this, this guy going to come down here and preach on husbands? Is that what he's going to do? Actually, of course, this text isn't about husbands and wives. Now, is it? It's actually about, as verse 32 says, Christ and the church. It's about a relationship here. And so look at the other part of this. Okay? And so you look at it and he talks about how Christ, verse 25, loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her, the washing water and water. Now watch this, verse 27, begins with the word so that. Paul is really big with the so that's, or the that's, or the so. And he's always trying to tell us, here's a purpose statement. Here's why this is taking place. We look at the cleansing. We concentrate on the washing of water with the Word. We look at those parts because they're significant to us. But God is looking at a different part and trying to get us to understand something. There's something bigger than cleansing and washing and all that. So that. What? He might present the church to Himself. ESV in splendor 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He started the book with that. Remember, we read that before the foundation of the world. He had chosen us, what? To be holy and blameless before Him. There's something going on here that it's about God and not just about us. He has made this great plan and the end result is that He is preparing us as this bride. I I tell you honestly what I would have expected. That God so loved the world. You know, the, the most known passage in the Bible. That He gave His only begotten Son. So that whoever believes in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. And I would have probably written in my Bible right after that, have everlasting life in a corner of heaven somewhere where God said, I saved you, but I don't like you. <laughs> you were junk. <laughs> and get away from me. Or at the very best, you can be my servant, my slave here. I will tell you to do things. And you do, you will do them. But you get to be in heaven. Oh, whew. and you know what? You and I had been cool with that. But he said, "No, I'm going to marry you, and I have to make you my bride. I have to make you beautiful, and that's what I'm going to do." Wow, that I don't understand. I can't get that through my mind. Alright, now, let's fill in some blanks. There's a phrase that's used in Ephesians five times. It's the phrase, heavenly places. It's not used any place else in the Bible. And Paul's the only one who uses it, and only right here in Ephesians. I want you to notice the five places where it's used. We begin with chapter 1, verse 3. Let's see if we can figure out what heavenly places is. Ephesians 1, verse 3. You know the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just stop there for a second. Who's he saying blessed be? Blessed be God. Alright, let's keep that in our mind. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In Christ, in the heavenly places. Alright, that's where that blessing is. We say, okay, what's the heavenly places? Well, you know, you and I, I mean, I know what I'm going to say. I'm sure what you're going to say, we're going to say, well, it's heaven. It's all the places in heaven. That, 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 that sounds right. Okay, cool. And every spiritual blessing that's in the heaven, that's pretty special. That's in the heavenly places, he's blessing us with. That's really special. All right, let's notice another place. Chapter 1, verse 20. Talking about the power that he worked toward us. Verse 20 says that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. God raised Jesus, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Well, that pretty well convinces me. Heavenly places must be heaven. God's in heaven. Christ is sitting on the throne next to God. I think I got that down pat. Almost. Chapter 2, verse 6. Whoops. This one's weird. We were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive. Verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you notice He didn't say, we'll seat us. Someday we'll seat us. He said, past tense, He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Now what's the heavenly places? Oh, (laughs) I'm getting messed up now. 
chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 10. Alright? Well, we'll read verse 9 with it. Here's Paul's purpose. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that... Ah, purpose statement. Through the church... That's us. That's us. Through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Woo. I see. We here are existing for the purpose of showing rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. And I would go scratch my head and go, what? They're in the heavenly places. Can't they see the manifold wisdom of God? What, what, what are we involved in this for? Oh, that's what he says. We are going are showing the manifold wisdom of God of the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. One more time it's used in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. This is probably familiar to most of you. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Uh oh. <laughs> there ain't just good guys up in the heavenly places. The bad guys are up there too. And those rulers and authorities and powers and cosmic forces and this whole kingdom situation. Don't you just see the dragon? You see the serpent? And he has got all these soldiers, but he's got captains and he's got commanders and he's got sergeants and he's got colonels and he, I mean, there are all these powers in there and you see little glimpses of them in the Old Testament. Like in Daniel when the prince of the king of Persia withheld the angel coming to give Daniel a message and he had to have a bigger angel that was good to get rid of the bad angel that was bigger and stronger than everybody else. What? Who are you wrestling against? You're wrestling against them. The rulers and authorities and powers in the heavenly places. You and I are in a battle against them. That battle just isn't, okay, I'm trying my best not to sin. It goes beyond that. We're in a battle so that we can exist and show those rulers and authorities in heavenly places God's manifold wisdom. Boy, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But one thing I'm sure of, and you're sure of now, just looking at what we have seen with those words, heavenly places, what we're sure of is this is a whole lot bigger than our salvation. Mm. It's a whole lot bigger than our salvation. You know, we have become a bit self-centered. We love to quote, God so loved the world that He gave His Son and God loves us and we sing songs about God loves us and we just announce everywhere that God loves us and God loves everybody and God loves us. And that is as true as it can be, but there is something bigger going on than God loves us. This is about us showing 
the rulers and authorities in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God that's his eternal purpose alright let's fill in some more blanks go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians I'd like you to notice a few things there's a lot of details in these first 14 verses. I do not have time to go through each one of them. We could do that another time, but that's not for our purpose right here. But I want you to notice something. We'll go back to verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons. What a wonderful thing to adopt us as His children according to the purpose of His will, verse 6 begins with what word? To. Now, I mentioned to you a second ago. Paul will say that, or so that, or to, to give us a reason why He did something. Okay? So why did He choose us? Why did He bless us? Why did He predetermine that we would be adopted as sons? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Why did he do all those things? To the praise of his glorious grace. He said, wait a minute, I thought he did it because he so loved me. Yes, but there's something bigger. He did it to the praise of his glorious grace. Go on. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Notice who's the subject of the matter here who's doing all this God is he lavished this grace on us verse 9 making known to us his the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to okay now we read the mystery of his will and we start thinking about oh yes how nice the mystery of his will was that he was going to save us it's all about us it's all about us look at the rest of verse 10 this mystery was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth some versions use reconcile Colossians uses reconcile Colossians 1.20 why did he do all of this what is the mystery of his plan to reconcile to unite all things on earth you said boy it needs reconciling it needs uniting earth is a mess but did you see the rest of it he didn't just say on earth to unite all things in heaven and on earth now if his purpose is to unite all things in heaven then what's the condition of heaven right now it's not united we already know that we've been reading about rulers and authorities and bad guys in the heavenly places right satan has a kingdom right there were demons who possessed people yes there's these spiritual forces of wickedness. Yes, you and I are battling them. Do you see them? I don't see them, but we're battling them. Okay? So all of that has to be united. Christ and His plan is there to unite us. Everything He's doing is about uniting all things in Him. Ah, okay. Now verse 11. In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that, here we go, 
we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Second time He said, what's this about? Why am I doing this? To the praise of His glory. Verse 13, in Him you also, now speaking of Gentiles, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Three times in this sentence, in which I have to tell you, I cannot tell you, how many times as a younger person I read this text and just went, look what He did for me, look what He did for me, look what He did for me, and three times He said, look what I did for me. I did it to the praise of my glory. That's why I did it. Wow. And then you go on, and Paul begins a prayer in verse 15. I will suggest his prayer extends all the way to the end of chapter 3, but he takes an intermission to it to try to show the great power that he did toward us. But look on down to verse 22 of chapter 1, talking about raising Christ up, giving him rule and authority. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him behead over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, we love this part, don't we? And say, what's the what's the church? It's the body. What's the body? It's the church. Yes, yes, yes. What's about that last part? The fullness of him, the body, us, are the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's Christ doing? He's filling us with himself. He's causing us to be full of himself. What happens if we're full of Himself? What happens if He fills us with Him? We reflect Him in the world. That was the original command. You remember the original command? Chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 27. God told, said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The image of God made He them, male and female. He made them. And what was the very next command? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? My image! I just made you in my image. Fill the earth with my image. And what did we do? We cracked the image. We messed it all up. And everything you're going to read after that is about God refilling us with Him. Everything is foreshadowed with that. He's filling us with Him. He's making us back into His image. Paul in Ephesians and Colossians mentions this a number of times. Making why? Because he wants his images all through the world. When you walk out of here, you're his image. He's filling us with him. Everything we're doing, everything we do when we come together is to learn so we fill with him. There's none of this knowledge. Or not like, let me see if I can do a book, chapter, and verse. It's filling us with Him so that we can reflect His image to the world. Why? To the praise of His glory. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the river, as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, verse 9. That's what this is about. This is the picture that He's giving us. Everything to that. In chapter 2, He talked about how we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You know that. We read in verse 6 how we're raised up to sit with Him in the heavenly places. But look at verse 7. 
So that, oh, there's one of those so that's again. So that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm looking forward to showing the immeasurable riches of the grace of God in the ages to come. That's why I'm doing this. I'm going to show you God. And he goes on in verse 8 and 9 and 10, saved by grace, not as a result of our works that we could boast, but we are His workmanship. What's He doing? Creating us as His workmanship. Workmanship in the Greek. Work of art. We're His work of art. (laughs) That image of Him. Is Is that possible? That God could create us in His image? He could recreate us to make us filled with Him? That's what He's doing. We're His workmanship. He actually created us in Christ for the good works that we're going to do, meaning how we're going to be looking just like Jesus would, which God did what? Prepared before Him that we should walk in. This is, this is back before time began. And when you get down to chapter 2 and verse 20, he talks about the church being built on the apostles and prophets Christ being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Nothing hocus pocus here. Nothing mysterious here. What's He doing? He's creating us as a temple. What did the world look at when they saw Solomon's temple? Man. God dwells there. The glory. He's just foreshadowing us. In Ezekiel 40-48, through we are the temple. We're the ones that He's formed that way. And what's He do? He's filling us with Himself because we represent Him in the world. We're His images. We're His temple to show the world how to come to God. That's why we exist. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Now we're back to that verse. Now watch this. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This has been His forever dream to create us so that we would show the rulers and authorities in heavenly places God's manifold wisdom. Who's it about, folks? Not about us. It's about Him. And then His last words of chapter 3, verse 20. If you're thinking right now, as I have thought many times, and still do, how could God take me, this weak, sinful, flawed, fleshly human being, struggling with desires, struggling to do what God tells me to do. How is He going to take me and create me like Him? He says, here's how, verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly, I like King James, exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power at work in us. You can follow that power all the way from back in chapter 1. According to the power at work in us, watch this, to Him be glory 
in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Who's getting the glory? He is. Who's getting the glory? How? Through us and through Christ Jesus. To Him be the glory. Chapter 4 through 6 of Ephesians is how to live to be to the praise of His glory. Okay. Now I want to add one more text before we bring this to a close. Look back in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Take a look at beginning at verse 19. This is the setting in which Ezekiel is talking to the captives who had been taken away in Babylonian captivity in 597 B.C. And God now is speaking about all the terrible things that they had been and what God was going to then do in the future, even though at the present there is no nation, it is all gone, the people have no hope, and it just seems like nothing is going to solve the problem at their end. Verse 19, God rehearses with them what He did. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that's what we've been talking about. They profaned my holy name and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of His land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when... I remember reading this the first time and I stopped there and I thought, I know the end of that sentence. When he throws those terrible Israelites off and he creates a wonderful new nation like us. (laughs) Not what he says. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Translated, I will take you out of bondage. A new exodus for a new people. For the people then. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you'll be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says, here's what I'm going to do. You profane my holy name. Anybody reading this and thinking this isn't talking about you? It's talking about me and it's talking about you. All the rest of this text and then in chapter 37 is a messianic text. At the end of chapter 37, David is the one who's going to rule referring to the coming Messiah. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
See what he's talking about here. He says, here's what I'm going to do. House of Israel, I want you to know something. I'm not doing this for your sake. Be ashamed. I'm doing it for the sake of my holy name. I profane God's holy name. All of us have. The world has. Israel is just a representation of what the world has done. And what did he do? He says, I'm going to fix that. You couldn't fix it. I'm going to fix it. And he says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to give you a new exodus. I'm going to take you out of the nations. I'm going to release you from bondage. And I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on your heart. I'm going to change your heart so it's a heart of flesh. You're going to loathe yourselves for your sins and your iniquities. Down in verse 32, he says that. And when I put my spirit in you and I change your heart so it's not a heart of stone, you're going to be careful to obey me. I tell you what, some man or woman today looks at you and says, It's not important to be careful to obey the Lord. I can tell you what. They're not saved. They don't know the Lord. And they do not have His Spirit in them. And He has not yet changed them. Bingo. You will be careful. Because you'll want to. When Jesus went to that cross, what did it do for you? It melted your heart. It caused you to loathe yourself for your sins. That's what the work of the Spirit is. Is what Jesus did. And what's it going to do to you? It's going to cause you to want to be careful to obey Him. Why? Because you love Him. Why did He do it? To the praise of His glorious name. Why are you here? You and I are here to show the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, God's manifold wisdom. Somewhere way back in time, before time, Satan, we're not told how, we're not told what, but he gathered a powerful kingdom, didn't he? And he challenged God. I think what we read from Satan's words in Job chapter 1 gives us a pretty good idea of what the challenge was. You remember God saying to Satan, seen my servant Job? Pretty good, huh? What's Satan say? He serves you because you pay him. You make everything sweet for him. He serves you because you just bribe Him. You take it all away, He'll curse you to your face just like I do and everyone else that I have gathered. We do not believe you're worth it. That's what Satan said. And God says, go ahead. And what's Job do? Was he flawed? Yeah. Did he say some silly things at times? Yeah. Did he have to repent? (coughs) Yes. Did he deny God? No. You lose, Satan. Job and every faithful person and you and I 
we stand strong because we're going to show those rulers and authorities and that dragon, we're going to show those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that God is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. We're going to show that no matter what happens to us, no matter what anything that takes place in this life, no matter what challenge, what persecution, what threat, we will not deny Him. And every time we're confronted with temptation, we're going to think of that dragon. And we're going to say, I'm going to show those rulers and authorities that He's worthy. I'll lay my life down for it. Football season's coming up. Sometimes we have the saying, when the visiting team walks into the home stadium, beats them soundly, we say, they punched him in the mouth. Let me tell you what. We're walking into Satan's stadium and we're going to punch him in the mouth. Because that's what we've been created for. And that is God's eternal purpose. He is worthy. And we are going to do this to the praise of His holy name. And that is all that we're about. And we're not about anything else but that. If you're not a Christian, you've got to be on the right side, dude. And you need to do this for your soul's sake. But you need to especially do it. Because you've profaned His holy name. And He created you for better than that. He'll cleanse you. And He'll change you. And it won't be an easy time. But you will become, through His great power, to the praise of His holy name. And if we can help you in that way, please come while we go to these hands. Have you a heart as
Please be seated.